Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, mental health, and wellness, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com or call 1-800-900-8476. Friend, have you heard the news? I'm officially releasing my first book this summer with Dayspring Publishing. It feels wild saying that, but I have been behind the scenes writing away and it is happening. It's called Worthy, 50 Mindful Moments to Bring Peace and Clarity to Your Day. And honestly, it is the book that I've been wanting to read. Listen, have you found yourself feeling more anxious and overwhelmed in today's cultural climate? Has the modern social media world and hustle culture left you on a roller coaster of feeling insecure and inadequate no matter how much you do? Or do you tend to struggle with people pleasing in order to feel valuable and worthy? You are certainly not alone. Many of us have been struggling at the intersection of our faith and our mind in today's world. So whether you need a total digital detox or just a little more balance, I've truly aimed to gather the information and inspiration to help you feel a little more refreshed, more clear, and more at peace within each day. These 50 faith-inspired devotions are integrated with helpful psychological tips and insights to reset each day with a grounded mind and spirit. In essence, this interactive devotional is designed to help you, one, practice a more grounded and internal sense of security. Two, realign with your values and convictions to show up confidently as your true self. Three, refresh your faith with the hope and peace of God's word. Four, develop the psychological tools to better cope with anxiety and overwhelm. And five, redefine the necessary boundaries for your overall mental, emotional, and spiritual health and so much more. Within Worthy, get ready to reclaim your days with a sound mind to show up confidently for the life God has called you to live. You can grab the book on Amazon or dayspring.com or Barnes & Noble and really wherever books are sold. And the links to order will be in the show notes below. So be sure to check it out. Now let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you're here spending your time with us today. Today, we are specifically diving into the topic of suicide prevention in the church, but really in general, this is a topic that I've been wanting to do a deep dive into for a while, even just if you guys can look back on this as a resource, if you are encountering someone who's having suicidal ideations or has brought it up to you, or maybe you're a leader or layperson in the church who just wants to be 
better equipped and more understanding of how to, you know, respond to these situations. That is specifically what this episode is all about. And so I'm so honored and so glad to be hanging with Jonathan and Robert today, who are going to be, you know, providing us some valuable insight and conversation on this topic. So Robert, Jonathan, how are you guys doing today? Doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, yeah, glad to glad to be here. Yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. This is actually a conversation we've been meaning to have for a while. So it's 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 great to uh get it on the books here. But just to dive right in, you know, for those who aren't familiar, you guys are doing some amazing work specifically in this area. And can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and what led to the work that you're currently doing? I'm just gonna go in order of my screen here and shoot for Robert and then we can go to Jonathan. Yeah, my name is Robert, like you said. Um, I'm a, a therapist in the Atlanta area. I focus uh, primarily on a adolescents and young adults, but also do a lot of um, like suicidality type of work, um, some suicide prevention training, stuff like that. Um, and then uh, do some advocacy uh, in online spaces, uh, trying to bridge that gap between uh, faith and mental health, right? So I, I co-host a podcast uh, called CXMH uh, that actually both of you have been guests on before, both uh, Brittany and Dr. Singer. So that's cool. Um, both of y'all have, have been on that. So, um, you know, doing a lot of that work. And I think that for me, that stems out of my own experiences uh, throughout my life with mental health, with uh, having, you know, had chunks of time where I was suicidal, things like that. And then, so trying to say, how do I, can I help other people going through some of those same things, but then having a background working in ministries and things like that before I, I moved into doing therapy, I, I found that lots of people would come and you know share with somebody at the ministry or at the church or whatever and say like hey i'm, I'm really struggling with uh depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts right these mental health type things and the response was uh at least in the spaces where i was a lot of times uh was something along the lines of like ah we really want to help but we're just not quite sure like what to do right like how do we how do we engage with this well is that something we're not allowed to and so um, things like that. And so, you know, trying to create resources like the the podcast or, or uh, trainings or things like that, that help kind of bridge that gap, I think has been something that um, I've been trying to do to, to, you know, help faith leaders or anyone in those types of communities know how to how to engage with mental health a little bit better. Yeah, kindred spirits there. I, I entered this space uh, many, many years ago. Uh, the suicide prevention space. Um, I also entered podcasting many years ago, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But um, so when I, when I was in high school, I was in the play, uh, Ordinary People. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was a book and then a movie. Um, and it was about a kid whose brother died in a boating accident. And he had real sort of survivor's guilt and among other things, and he, and he attempted suicide um, in, his, in his bathroom at home and then went off to um, uh, an inpatient stay. And this was in, you know, the, it was written in the late 70s, so the inpatient stay was very long. <laughs> um, but during that production in high school, our drama teacher um, brought in uh, a mental health professional 
to process with us. And after each of the performances, uh, this mental health professional did a debrief afterwards. And it was really the first time that I was introduced to the ideas around families, um, uh, suicidal kids. I mean, I'd heard of the idea of suicide and, you know, there had been some conversation, but it was really the first kind of dive that I did in into it. And then after I got my MSW, my first job was doing um, suicide risk assessments with kids and working with their families. And, um, you know, and then it's been 25 years later and and I've done a, a bunch of other things, mostly focused around helping these families whose, whose narratives, right, have been disrupted by whatever leads to a suicidal crisis and then helping them to, um, continue on that path, right? However, the narrative has changed, um, because of the suicidal crisis, uh, helping them repair their relationships, um, and building lives worth living. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Obviously like what you guys do is so honorable and I always love asking the backstory because I find that those who are in this work, um, have been deeply impacted by it in some way, whether it's personally or someone that they know or something that they've witnessed and genuinely have a heart um, to just not see another single person suffer from this again or to find a way through or to cope or to prevent it. Um, so I really appreciate you guys sharing your stories here. Um, you know, I think just kind of diving right into it, you know, Jonathan, you were talking about doing suicide risk assessment and that, you know, there are signs um, that are there and maybe that maybe we don't realize it right away that there's signs or maybe we just don't know how to respond to certain things or we don't realize that there's signs. Um, What are some factors that would make a person more at risk um, for suicide? Well, You know, the, the, the question actually leads you down two paths. Mm-hmm. One path is this idea of what are the, the risks for suicide. And, and those can be more generic, right? So I'm, a, I'm 51. I'm, so I'm a middle-aged white guy. And so statistically, like I, I, have, I have pretty high suicide risk just in terms of being a middle-aged white guy. Um, uh there are other risks, including um, access to lethal means, firearms, things like that. Um, uh, there are things that are much more what we think of as proximal, right? Which when you're talking with somebody are actually more important because I'm not at risk for suicide, right? It's just, it, I am not having suicidal thoughts. I have no desire to kill myself. Um, it's, it's, it's just not something that's going on in my brain. And so those risk factors for me don't really matter. Um, warning signs are the things that you want to look out for that you were alluding to, right? Somebody might say something like, you know, I don't really think if anybody would care if I lived or died. Or somebody might say, um, uh, you know, um, I think everybody would be better off if I weren't here. Or somebody could actually say, I'm thinking about killing myself, right? Those are all statements that somebody could say that suggest they're suicidal. Um, And sometimes we hear them and we dismiss them. 
especially the ones that don't use the word suicide or kill, right? Things like, yeah, I, th I, I don't think anybody cares if I live or die. And people are like, nah, come on, man, let's just stop it. You know, that's just silly talk. And then they move on, not realizing that what the person just did was give a warning sign, right? Um, now, we always think about warning signs in the context um, of other things. So, so rarely is it just one thing, right? So you might have somebody say, uh, I don't really think anybody would matter, would, would care if I lived or died. And you've also noticed they deactivated their social media accounts and they're not sleeping well and they got in trouble at work because they uh, yelled at their boss. And you're like, okay, <laughs> like all these things put together are suggestive that something is going to be going on in the near future, right? Something is happening that suggests this person might be at risk for suicide. Um, so I just want to clarify, there there are these differences between kind of generic uh, distal risk factors and the more proximal or what we consider warning signs for something um, happening in the near future. Right, right. Um, and like I know that just recently during the pandemic, I decided to become a crisis counselor on the national crisis text line, right? Because it was kind of shooting through the roof. And I know for us, we have what we call a, like a ladder of risk assessment, as far as like, if they check these boxes, this determines how serious it is and how um, close they are to like possibly going through it. Um, maybe Robert, if you could chime in on, you know, what are some of kind of the check boxes that you use or that you assess to see that, okay, this is something really serious or something we need to respond to right away. Um, maybe for those who are just a friend or a family member or a lay person in the church who, like Jonathan said, maybe said something like, you know, I feel like I'm a burden. I feel like I'd just be better off not here or whatever they've said it. So now how do we assess how serious it is? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And I'm, I'm so glad that uh, Jonathan broke apart kind of risk factors and warning signs, because I think those are kind of two different, you know, the warning signs are what we're more worried about in terms of responding to an individual kind of right in front of us, right? And so um, I think, you know, the, the when, when you talk about warning signs or things that maybe are commonly present or whatever, right? Like I think the more of those that are present, maybe those tend to be kind of exponential in terms of how concerned I am, right? If somebody uh, has had some big transitions and loss of connectivity and is expressing kind of that perceived burden, right? Like if there's, if like the more of those boxes that are checked, I think, you know, obviously maybe that's, that's more concerning, but then, even I think, you know, if you if you think about um, in terms of a um, a plan being present, right, like there's kind of a, a, a spectrum of kind of passive, like, oh, yeah, I've thought about like, what if I wasn't here kind of range versus I'm, I have kind of a plan in mind that I'm constructing, right, or um, what we call intent, which is like, how kind of serious are you talking, you know, in terms of things like that, right? And to be really clear for me, I, I tend to say, okay, any of these things I'm going to take seriously, right? So it's not that there's a point where someone mentions having, you know, oh, I was thinking about suicide and I'm like, well, nothing else was here. I'm not taking that seriously. That's not at all what I'm saying, right? right? Like I'm going to take any of that seriously. But I think in terms of how, like, 
how serious and how alarmed I am, I think, you know, the, the more of those warning signs potentially, you know, um, and then definitely plan and, and intent, right, are the two things that um, I would say kind of escalate pretty quickly in terms of, of my, um, how alarmed I am. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign-up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Absolutely. Those are definitely things that we look out for as crisis counselors. Like, um, like you said, first, it's like, if they mentioned it, it's, or sometimes actually we're required to ask anyway, if we see that they're expressing like a lot of, you know, just heavy burden, like heavy burdens in their life. And they're just really distressed. We actually do come out and ask like, Hey, just wondering, have you ever had thoughts of suicide like we just kind of just ask it outright because we want to ask if not it's like okay let's think of ways to cope with this very distressing situation but if they have then we go through what exactly you said Robert which is you know okay have you thought of have you been thinking about how you would do it right and these seem like very uncomfortable questions especially to the everyday person especially when I was not trained at all in this but um but it's things that need to be talked about out in the open, you know? Um, and I think there is a fear of if you bring it up, it's going to cause them to go through with it. But that's just not the case. It's actually going to 
um, bring to light and they actually have room to talk about it and kind of even relieve some of that burden that's internal. But yeah, just pulling out again what Robert said, we ask them, you know, if they've thought about it, if they have a means, right? Um, have you thought about how you're going to do it? If they have access to that, and we ask them if they have a date, you know, or if they have a time. And sometimes they will say, you know, I was thinking tomorrow or or next week or, oh, no, I haven't really thought about it. And then we go back to coping skills. So um, if you guys are listening and someone has brought it up to you, definitely look out for if they have thought about it, if they have a means of how they're going to carry it out and if they have a date. And those those things are going to be very alarming as far as how serious they plan on taking it, um, just in keeping those in mind. Um, now, I guess I want to ask, because as I said, it for someone who is not like in this realm of the mental health world and training and suicide assessment, this can be a very intimidating conversation to have. You like don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to trigger someone. So sometimes people just don't say anything. Um, so I guess on a more layperson, conversational, everyday person kind of place, if someone who's listening, has a loved one or friend who they think may be considering it or maybe showing signs. Um, I mean, how, I guess just how would you guys approach it? Like as an everyday person, if someone in your life has expressed that they may be thinking about it, like how would you respond? So there are a couple of things there, Brittany. Um, one of them is the question of how should... Uh, friends and family respond when a loved one, uh, friend or loved one, is yeah. saying something that they're concerned about that might be suicidal. And the other thing is how Robert and I would respond, which is a little different because we have training. So what I would say is that, um, um, you know, when you hear when you hear your loved one say something that's concerning, you you can you can be confident in, in saying, look, if I, um, if I let them know that I am genuinely interested in understanding like what's been going on, you don't really have to worry about asking the questions that we were just talking about, right? Those are risk assessment questions. Those are things that you can refer to the national suicide prevention lifeline crisis text line, right? You can, somebody, somebody else can ask those questions, but if you're, if your loved one is saying something like, um, you know, like I, I was talking with a kid uh, several years ago and her grandma had just died and she was just mm -hmm. like, you know, I want to go to heaven right now and be with her. You know, the question is, is that a, is that a suicidal statement? Right. Is it a suicidal statement to say, I want to go to heaven and be with my grandma? Um, well, if you're just sort of, you know, everyday person, like <laughs> you're not going to be you're not going to be equipped to ask questions around suicide risk assessment, but asking the story, like what is, what would it mean to be with your grandma? What do you miss about your grandmother? Like, how would you get there? Like, what would that look like? Right. Being curious and, and, and asking the story, asking for the story. That's what I would suggest people do. And then if that story uncovers 
things that suggest that the person is actually suicidal, maybe has a plan. Maybe they're like, you know, it's weird. You know, my uncle killed himself when he was my age and it's just sort of been popping up in my brain. Like I just keep thinking about it and you're like, oh, okay. So have you considered calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline? Have you have you chatted with some folks, right? right. Um, press one if you're a veteran, right? Those, the, all sorts of things, right? So I would... I would just encourage people to um, not be afraid of the conversation and to, and to really fall back on the fact that what this person really needs is to connect with somebody who's going to listen non-judgmentally and then know that there are resources out there that they can uh, refer to mm-hmm. um, where, where somebody can actually ask the questions we were talking about before. Yeah. Sometimes I think that inaction comes from the feeling or belief that we have to be everything in that moment or resolve everything in that moment, fix everything in that moment. And if we don't feel like we can do that, then the opposite is that we feel paralyzed and that we don't see anything at all. When really, and what both of you are saying is that, you know, just just being willing to provide a safe space of the non-judgmental listening that can inadvertently provide some relief, hopefully in that moment, kind of like just throwing a life raft, you know, in that moment where someone feels like they're drowning and getting them to a safe place, hence the therapist or the suicide hotline or, you know, a a crisis center, whatever it might be. Um, Just knowing that you don't have to resolve this entire issue. However, you can provide a safe space for relief and then further refer to resources is a good plan. Like, that's a good plan. Um, and I hope that people knowing that can feel a little bit more confident in um, just being there and just being willing to hear people out, right? So now we've talked about some of the things to do, some of the things to look out for, some of the ways to be, um, you know, embracing and listening and non-judgmental. Now, what about things not to do? Like, things maybe not to say, or maybe how not to respond. You know, a lot of times specifically we talk about in the context of faith here, um, we've talked about spiritual bypassing on this podcast, you know, and kind of using faith language to bypass very real and very traumatic or very serious issues. Um, And we can speak to any context of that, but yeah, some things not to say and some things, or I should say some things that probably will not be helpful um, to say in these types of moments. I think one of the things that's helpful to think about in terms of what not to say is um, things that push back against the person's experience. Yeah. So for example, if somebody says, um, I just don't think that people care about what I'm going through. If you're like, no, 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 they do. Like it, it's well-intentioned, but it's the message that it communicates is you don't understand me. I can't talk to you about this. So if you're going to push back against this, like what else are you going to push back on? Um, if somebody says I have nothing to live for and the person's like, what do you mean? You have everything to live for. Again, it says I'm, I'm, I'm not really understanding where you're coming from. And so any further conversation is going to be really hard. Right. Um, I think some of the other things that we tend to do that are problematic is we tend to jump in and, and try and solve problems um, 
before we've actually listened to people. Um, and, you know, since this is the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast, right, if you're like, if somebody says, I'm, you know, I'm feeling really, um, like, hopeless about the future, and somebody's like, well, let's pray. Like, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't say that as your first, as your opening salvo, right? Because the person's going to be like, well, you don't even know what I'm talking about, right? And it's, uh, it's what Miller and Rolnick in motivational interviewing um, call the writing reflex, right? Mm-hmm. It's, our, it's our desire to make things right. But actually in that moment, the right thing to do is to say, wow, that sounds like a really lonely place. Tell me more. Or, you know, so what do you mean by that? Or it seems like you're really, really upset. I'm glad you told me. Um, can you tell me what what else is going on, right? Just open open the space. Those are the right things to say. It's not necessarily that the words that I'm sharing right now are the right words every single time, um, but it's it's the right intention and it's the right meaning. So the wrong things to say are things that um, uh, push back against that person's experience when really what you want to do is you want to open space for that person. Mm. We're going to get Robert back here in a little bit. His, uh, he's uh, breaking up a little bit here, but we're going to get him back. Um, and as we were waiting for him to come back, I just wanted to add on what to what you were saying, Jonathan, is, yeah, you know, I think that I just think in general it's safer to approach situations with curiosity rather than with assumptions, right? It's just like, like you said, just oh, tell me a little bit more about that. Or how long have you been feeling this way? You know, things like that, that are not going to minimize their experience or bypass their experience, because even though something might not be true, that doesn't make it not real, right? It's like, there may be people who do care about them. However, for them, their feeling is real. And so you want to validate that feeling and move from there. Now, I want to shift a bit to the conversation of suicide in the church. Um, you know, over the past couple years, we've seen um, different pastors take their lives, you know, which is just devastating, you know. Um, and I'm sure there are a number of reasons and factors for that as far as the support they have and how they're exacerbated. And um, and now having platforms online, you add that in the mix where they're criticized for different reasons, various reasons. but um, also just those who are struggling within the church, you know, um, and maybe this is more of a Robert question, but what, what types of resources do you believe the church should be having on hand, uh, for suicidal crises or just mental health crises and what can, and what can the church be doing better, you know, resource wise or in just coming around the mental health crises, um, in our communities? Yeah, I think there's definitely there's a lot that we could that we can try and do, right? I think obviously in terms of really tangible resources, one of the things that I I talk with a lot when I do trainings and things like that, right, is um, there's an interesting phenomenon where churches, you know, if you ask most churches, they say they have a resource list of local, you know, mental health things like that. Um, but if you ask most churchgoers, they don't know that their church has that. So if you have that, making sure that people know that and that it's easily accessible, right? But even if you, maybe if you don't, right, if you say, oh, I don't really know, it would take, you know, an afternoon. It could You could block off two hours and do a bunch of Googling and put together, okay, what are the local 
crisis lines, what are the local crisis centers, right? Like, uh, because not all ERs have, have psychiatric care, right? So you could, you could do that in an afternoon and put that together. And then what I would say is reach out to those, those places or a local counselor or whatever, right? And see if you can come, COVID probably makes this a little more difficult, right? But you know, a lot of places they'll they'll let you give kind of a they'll give you a brief tour, or they'll at least talk you on the phone through what that process would be like, or or anything like that. So that if if someone's in crisis and you say, hey, here's this counselor I recommend you go see, you could talk them through. Oh, here's what that's like, right? You're not just saying, oh, I don't know, go over here. Here's a phone number, but that that because they're coming to you and they trust you, you being able to have some sense of what that actually looks like is probably helpful, right? And then any any barriers there to think through, right? If someone says, "Oh, but that's so expensive," right? Does your church have a way of of coming around that? Things, you know, things like that. Just the tangibles, um, you know. If I go see a counselor who watches my kids, right? Those types of things to think about in terms of a church community being able to, or if any kind of faith community, right? Being able to really come around and support someone in those different ways, not just say, "I don't know." Here's a list. Go right, like because that is that's hard to do if you think about. Um, the last time that you thought, oh, I need to find a new dentist in my area. And it was probably really hard and you had to call like 12 of them and you're not sure what, you know, oh, these places seem weird. Now think about navigating that process while you're in crisis, right? Like that, that sounds impossible. And so any way that we can make that a little easier, we want to, we want to try and do that. Um, and then obviously I think about kind of in a more upstream preventative way, before people get to crisis, can we talk about mental health more openly? Can we kind of set the stage? Can we bring in counselors just here and there to ask questions? Or do we have those resources? Or, you know, can we talk about things in a way that is helpful, right? Like some theology around suffering or, you know, do we talk about anxiety being purely a, a lack of faith, right? That's probably not helpful, for, right? Th- those types of things that, that create an environment where people know this is a safe place for me to, to share those things before we reach maybe a crisis point where then we go, oh gosh, now we have to figure out kind of on the backside what to do. And Robert, I love what you said about the upstream because uh, one of the things that um, Sherry Moloch talks about is um, sort of weaving in suicide from the pulpit, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not, suicide isn't only mentioned one day out of the year, right? When you're doing sort of the suicide sermon, right? Um, you, you, You weave it in when appropriate. So it, it normalizes the idea of talking about suicide within that faith setting um, and lets congregants know that you are somebody that, mm-hmm. um, that they can talk to about this and yeah. that you're not going to get flipped out and freaked out and be like, oh, uh, uh, right. I, I don't know what to do, right? I mean, obviously, that's a little exaggerated. Hopefully, you wouldn't have a pastor respond like that to any situation. But um, yeah. uh, um, really having it upstream in the sense that it is already part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And doing that just to, to kind of bounce off right there, you know, Jonathan, you said hopefully a pastor wouldn't respond that way. Even if you're, you know, when I think this is why I use the term faith leaders a lot when I'm talking, because obviously pastor is one thing, but also there's people who are your volunteers, right, there's people right. who run a small group, there's people who work in your children's ministry or your youth ministry, right? Like, how do we make it so all of those people feel 
more comfortable. Obviously, it's not right. necessarily like a, a super comfortable conversation, but all of those people have a, a little bit better of a response or some idea of what to do if some they think someone's in crisis or somebody turns to them uh, right. and, and share some things. How do we kind of weave that throughout? And I think what you're talking about, right, can we make it kind of a more normal, you know, a more approachable thing is going to help with that where, as opposed to, you know, it's one, one week a year or whatever, you know? Absolutely. And just having those conversations, like, and not under, not to underestimate the value of having those conversations woven in, because what you're saying is that we have a church culture, we have a faith culture where we talk about it. Like we talk about that, these things, even just to have a space that says, this is something that we talk about. And when people ask me about like what I think the church is doing well or not so well when it comes to mental health, I think we do support really well as t in terms of like coming around people and being a community. And that's why I'm so passionate about mental health in the church, because I think that if we do have the resources, the understanding, the knowledge um, that we can come around people well, you know, with this understanding. And so, Robert, what you were saying as far as just being a better support of making it easier for people to find that help, um, you know, I always say just like if someone was sick, you know, with like a cold or the flu or whatever it is, you know, you might say like, hey, do you want me to drive you to the doctor or would you like me to look with you, you know, or um, can I bring you a meal, you know, just treat it with that same regard, I think, and that same sensitivity when it comes to supporting people and kind of trying to help make their lives easier. Or even if it is, hey, um, I can watch your kid for you, you know, while you go to that appointment. Oh my yeah. gosh, those types of things are so relieving and so helpful. And those are things that we can do as a community. Um, and, and also when it comes to like locating mental health professionals and whatnot, a lot of, there are a lot of times mental health professionals that are right there in the church, that are right there in the congregation mm. who have the training, who are mental health professionals and who know people who have the resources. So I would even encourage putting it out there to your congregants because you would be surprised how many of them might be licensed clinical social workers or might be marriage and family therapists. I mean, I find a lot of times that those in the field, in the mental health field are right there. So just being able to lean on the wisdom and the understanding and knowledge of those who are already in your congregation, right? Um, it would obviously be helpful to do some type of suicide prevention trainer for anyone in a care position and, a, you know, as a volunteer or as a leader in the church to just have that understanding because we know that, you know, um, research has shown that people of faith will go to their church before they ever step foot to a mental health professional, right? Lifeway yeah. did a study showing that 59% of pastors who'd counseled someone went on to receive an acute mental diagnosis. So we know that, you know, pastors are meeting with folks in biblical counseling or pastoral counseling that need more help, that go on to needing more help. Um, so it's absolutely prevalent. I think that we have the right heart and the and the motives and we have the support and we have the systems, right? That's what I get so passionate about. I'm like, faith communities have the systems. We have the people. We just got to utilize it in a way that's healthy and that's understanding and that can make care and accessibility easier for our brothers and sisters that are around us. So any final thoughts or things that you guys thought about that you want to add in or you think should be taken away for someone who's listening um, and just wants to support better or maybe encouragement for someone. Yeah. Some encouragement maybe for someone who 
is in this position and they just feel hopeless or stuck in terms of someone that they love. Well, so I think there's a couple things. One, um, uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're having thoughts of suicide, um, know that there are people out there that want you to stay and that are uh, available to talk to you 24-7. And that could be the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It could be Crisis Text Line. It could be Trans Lifeline, Trevor Project, um, any number of crisis lines. Uh, if you are... Um, if you have a loved one that is uh, suicidal, know that this is nothing that you have to do alone. Um, mm. Nobody that's a professional, like you could be the, the, the chief attending psychiatrist to the best hospital in the country, and, and you will not be doing a suicide risk assessment alone. You will not be making decisions alone. So, um, uh, you know, it's, this is a community endeavor. And Brittany, in the same way that you were talking about the value of fellowship um, that that faith communities bring, um, this is the this is the time where you say, you know what, I'm going to reach out to the the folks in my community, and I'm going to say, hey, I've been having some conversations. They've been tough, and I'm wondering if you can, you know, keep this between us for right now because I'd like to be able to um, uh, know who knows these things, but I really just need somebody to talk to about this. And so you get your support. And then over time you build that, that, that community of support for yourself so that you can be the point person, um, as you're supporting. The other thing that I would say related to that is that if you're a parent, one of the things that parents most often want is to talk to other parents whose kids have been suicidal, but it's a, it's a tough community to find because as a parent, you're like, okay, they're not suicidal anymore. Now we got to get, we got to move on. Like they got schoolwork to catch up on. They got peer groups. Like I got to deal with my other kids. And so it's not something that people hang a shingle out and be like, Hey, come talk to me. But if you're already in a community and somebody knows, Oh, well, you know, Debbie's kid was suicidal a few years ago. I wonder if she'd be willing to talk to this person, right? That's an enormous resource. So the, so these are the things that I would leave people with is that if you're suicidal, um, there are people to talk to. There are people that want you to stay. Your reasons for living might not be in your life right now, but they will be there someday. And if you're supporting somebody, just know you don't do this alone either, right? There's communities of support um, around in multiple different ways. Yeah, I, I think I would just echo all of that and, and say that, that, I mean, that's such such good words there from Jonathan. And um, yeah, just the idea of finding community and finding resources, maybe in places that you wouldn't necessarily expect, like he was talking about, right? And if, you, if you're someone that says, okay, I have been through this, I or my, my child has been through this or whatever, right? Uh, not that you have to take out a billboard, but the, your willingness to share that story in healthy ways is going to be helpful for, like Jonathan said, right? Like for somebody else to know, oh, okay, I can talk to them. You know, this isn't like a singular thing where it's just our family that's ever had this problem, right? Like, and so um, doing that again in healthy ways, you know, as as is appropriate. Like, I think I think that can be really helpful as well um, to help people find those kind of um, the community and the resources around them to get that support. Amen. Thank you guys so much for, for sharing all of this. I know sometimes even just hearing this information and hearing this talked through in a moment of crisis can be helpful within itself. 
Um, so I really appreciate you guys' time and collective wisdom here. And how can those who are listening stay connected to you and the work that you're doing? Uh, you can find me on social media, on Twitter at SOCWRK Podcast, um, Facebook, Facebook forward slash SW Podcast. Um, you can go to the Social Work Podcast page, or you can just Google Jonathan Singer. Um, I'm a professor at Loyola University of Chicago. You can contact me there. And they can uh, they can buy your book, awesome. Suicide in Schools, just to offer a shout out to Jonathan's book there. Ah, <laughs> oh, there we yeah. go. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, Thank you for of that, course, Robert. Yeah, yes. use my affiliate link. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, you <laughs> folks can find me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore, um, or you can go to cxmhpodcast.com or um, on any social media or just uh, while you're listening to this podcast and the Social Work Podcast, you can also subscribe to CXMH wherever you get podcasts. Absolutely. And uh, we are going to have all of this linked in the show notes. So you guys can check that out to follow them along. Uh, hopefully this can be a resource for those of you who are either walking through this with someone you love or someone that you know of who has someone they love who is struggling. Hopefully this can be a resource that you guys can pass on and turn to. So we appreciate you guys' time. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. <laughs>